Amen. Amen. There is so many moving parts to what goes on here in the morning. Occasionally we will skip an announcement that's really, really important, and it didn't make it on the docket. We have a new sound system we're trying to dial in, so if I sound short, small, wide, whatever, just forgive me. So, But Gene's got an announcement. I really want you to hear this one. It's important. Um, I'll just, I don't even know where to start. Um, we've got a primary election coming up on May 17th, and Bob and I are in situations where we hear things and get feedback that a lot of other people don't get. And one of the things that's uh, been happening is if you've had any interaction with, the st with uh, Oregon DMV since the last election, there's a good chance that your voter registration status has been changed to non-affiliated voter. It hasn't happened to everybody, but it's happened to a lot of people. And if that happens, you will be prevented from voting in the primary if you are a Republican or a Democrat. If you're already a non-affiliated voter, it won't make any difference for you. But um, it would be a good idea for you to check. The last day that you can make changes to that is April 26th. It's coming up real quick. That's why I wanted to make the announcement. So if you want to simply check and make sure, and it happens even to people that haven't been to DMV, so it's a good idea for everybody to just check. You can go online to Oristar My Vote just to check and see what your registration is. All you need is your name and birth date. If you want to change your registration or to register, you can go to, did I say Oregon My Voter or Oristar? Last one was Oristar. If you want to register from scratch, you go to Oregon My Vote. You can do that online. If you don't want to do that and you have a smartphone, you can come see me afterwards and I have this nice little, whatever you call those things, that you can, uh, you can just go on it with your smartphone and get right there to make any changes or to check it. Oristar My Vote. O-R-E-S-T-A-R. It only takes a minute to do it. It's real easy. Thank you. Amen. I, I appreciate that. What I appreciate about Jean's heart is is she's not up here yelling you at you there's one way. Uh, so you get to choose whichever way you lean, but it's important to remember that your vote counts. Amen? We have a vote. Don't let anyone ever take that from you or say you don't, all right? I don't mean to sound political, but I will for a moment. Uh, vote. If you're not happy with things, use the power of your vote, okay? And so anyhow. Wow. Resurrection Sunday. You know, I have never been one to really follow the church calendar per se. You know, Steve Shaw, you guys have heard his heart over the years. He, former pastor here, he felt the same way in terms of it just seems like every year we keep crucifying, burying Jesus and resurrecting him. And, but there's imagery of that that I think is very important for us to understand. Yes, he is risen. He rose once. 
over 2,000 years ago, right? So he doesn't just rise every year, but every year we're reminded of this moment. And I think it's okay to celebrate the resurrection, right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. But imagine, if you would, for a moment, let me paint this imagery for you of a baptism that's about to happen. You have a person who was lost and all of a sudden has this dynamic encounter with Jesus and this incredible experience has rocked their world and now they are standing and about ready to step into a pool or a river flowing or filled with the cool waters of baptism. I have seen people baptized in so many different ways. The most unique way we ever baptized people was on top of a sawdust pile. Alan Witcherley, if you guys know who he is, he has like five acres of sawdust. It's a mountain. That's how he makes his livelihood. And one day it was snowy and cold and the river was icy. And it's like, at A Street, it's like, let's have a baptism. We had like 10 people that wanted to be baptized. Alan goes, I got a plan. So we go out to Alan's about four hours later. He had taken his tractor, went up on top of the sawdust mountain and created a hole in there, even with steps carved in it and lined it with bisqueen. And then he fills it with his hot water tank. So here we are standing on this sawdust pile in the middle of December, November. I mean, it was January. I don't know. It, it was cold. And we're baptizing people as the snow is falling. That was an experience. But we've baptized people in hot tubs to rivers. One night we went down to the river on New Year's Eve, my son and another young man, Jed Gretz. And we had our lights pointed at the water and the snow's falling, falling and it's colder and all get out and we're standing in the water going, let's hurry up and do this, boys. It's cold. <laughs> but imagine that. How many of you have actually been and witnessed a baptism? Okay. So imagine this, this group of people surrounding someone who are some ones who are about to get baptized. And, and everyone standing around, their eyes are framed with, with smiles of some, this loving of, uh, uh, acceptance where they're just going, man, this is so awesome. This is so right. They're finally getting baptized. And you see some people standing there, perhaps with tears of joy streaming down their face. And then with a few words from the baptizer. Now hear me, I don't believe that just a pastor is the only one who can baptize. Or a priest is the only one who can baptize. I believe if you lead someone to Jesus, you can take them down to the water and baptize them. Just make sure you bring them back out of the water. <laughs> so here's this person about to be baptized. And, and again... The baptizer shares a few words. There's a, there is this declaration or profession of faith spilling just gratefully from the person who's about to be baptized. And then they are immersed into the water. And then everyone goes home. No, we pull them out. That's important to remember that part. So in the next moment, they are, they are pulled. Here's the imagery. In the next moment, they're, they're immersed and then they're pulled out of this watery tomb. They arise. They arise with laughter. They arise with hope, joy. I've seen people do backflips, cartwheels, do the woohoo dance. But here's the deal, guys. At that moment, all of a sudden, a new life begins. And it's no longer defined by who they were. It's who they are now in Christ. And Jesus says, or in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. So as they come up out of the water, the old is washed away. It is gone. It is left in the watery grave, and it moves on. And they come up out of the water, a new person. 
For me, baptism has always been this perfect visual for what happens when the Easter story becomes our story. Amen? We die with Christ in the imagery of the immersion. We enter his tomb with him. We are cut off from the very breath of life. And then we are pulled from the waters by these saving hands reaching out to us that pull us out. And we are raised with Christ from our spiritual and physical death. Yes, we will die a physical death, most of us, unless Jesus returns soon. But yet we will rise again. The resurrection is our guarantee of that moment. We'll rise again and we will live with him in eternity forever. So the message of Easter and the Holy Week that leads up to it is quite straightforward. Because of the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, no form of death has ultimate control or can come upon us anymore. The word is quite apparent of the progression when you read this. If you start in Romans 6, I'm just going to rattle these off really quick for time's sake because I want to land in a very special spot today. But Romans 6, chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. We are now, Paul begins to describe how we're in this incredible union in Christ. And because of the baptism, we die a death like Jesus. And, and then he also goes on to say, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like his. And there it moves forward. It begins to tell us how we are incorporated in the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians. In Acts 2.38, it tells us how we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're empowered with the presence of God to move and to navigate in this life. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us we are cleansed from our sins and we are quite literally that new creation. We're born again, abounding by the grace and the resurrecting love of our Lord Jesus. Then, when we acknowledge the risen Jesus, as our Lord and King, we are raised with Christ to a new living hope, and we are set on a course of inner and outer transformation. That's how it happens. Colossians 1, 3, 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I don't know about you, but I was spiritually dead in my sin and my transgressions before I came to Jesus. If I would have died in that moment, I know now that I would have never entered into the promised land. But because of my acknowledging Jesus as my Lord and my Savior and following through with the baptism, I just know that I am guaranteed a spot in eternity. And I have a huge job to do here and now. It has been said, now hear, hear my heart, I don't know who said this, but it has been said that Jesus did not rise to make bad people good. That's not why he died and he rose again. It wasn't to make bad people good. He rose to make dead people live. You got that? So Easter story is your story. It's my story. And we say with great creed on this day, on the third day, he arose from the dead. This Easter, my heart is that we would arise with him and be the people that he's calling you and I to be. Amen? So what I want to do is quickly go through just the last three days of the Holy Week, okay? I'm going to just, just like skipping a stone across the pond. I'm just going to bounce across some high points that I think are very important. But let's just quickly go down the list here of, of the Holy Week that leads up to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's known as the Holy Week. We have Palm Sunday. That's day one. That's where Jesus rides on a donkey into Jerusalem. Everybody's, whoa, Hosanna, Hosanna, praising Jesus and shouting out. 
The only problem was they thought that Jesus was there to set them free from Roman oppression, that he would be their king and he would take care of what was going on. But all the bad, he was going to deliver them from all of that. But that's not why Jesus came, was it? Then on day two, we see Monday, we see Jesus goes and he clears the temple. He's not happy with what man has done inside the temple courts, right? So he cleans house. Then on day, on day three, we have Tuesday. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. This is where Jesus prays with such agony, contemplating what is about to come because he and he alone knows what's going to happen. In fact, it says he prayed so hard that he sweat was as if it was droplets of blood coming out of his body. I cannot begin to fathom that kind of agony, but that's what Jesus did. Wednesday, we don't have a lot of history. Is this me or is it clipping off on me? It just sounds weird up here. On Wednesday, we don't, historically, there's not a lot recorded about what happened on Wednesday. Maybe Jesus was just resting. Maybe he just laid low that day. But on Thursday, we have the Passover and the Last Supper. Then on day six, Good Friday, we have trial. The trial of Jesus, we have his crucifixion, we have his death, and we have his burial. Then on Saturday, Saturday is the Sabbath, which is kind of a day of rest. In fact, they couldn't even go to the tomb. They couldn't do what they wanted to do until 6 o'clock that night, and that's when they went in and did what they needed to do to the body of Jesus. But then on Sunday, that's when everything changed. So I want to start with Good Friday really quick. Good Friday is the sixth and holy day of the week. We know that after Jesus' betrayal in the garden, he's dragged before this huge Jewish tribunal who's, who is being led by the high priest, uh, I think it's uh, Caiaphas. And Caiaphas is really wanting a death sentence put on Jesus. He's wanting Jesus put to death. They place him before Pilate, the Roman prefect of, Ju of Judah, and, 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 and they're trying to, again, pursue this death sentence. And Pilate's like, you know, I, this isn't making sense. So he says, you know what? I'm going to send him on to Herod. Herod goes, I don't want to touch this guy. I'm paraphrasing like crazy here. So Herod sends him back to Pilate. And Pontius Pilate asks Jesus this question. He's the Roman governor. He says, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Having declared that his kingdom is not of this world, Jesus is beaten. He's scourged. He's whipped 39 times. A crown of thorns is smacked on his head. He's tortured. He's rejected by the very crowd that had welcomed him on Palm Sunday. And finally, he's sentenced to an excruciating torture of the crucifixion. Via Dolorosa, that's Latin. It means the way of suffering. This begins for Jesus. So for six hours, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And it yields unbelievable pain. It, 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 it reveals unbelievable darkness. It, we see a criminal who is forgiven. We see a torn curtain temple, uh, or uh, uh, a torn temple curtain just ripped in this, the temple and the curtain just ripped in half. You read the word, the imagery is unbelievable. The ground shaking, all of this stuff going on at that very moment. I can't even get my head around that. But for the disciples, the light of the world they knew had gone completely dark. Can you imagine that moment giving your all 
to, to, to a belief to someone and all of these promises and things that you heard and then all of a sudden it just, the light goes out. It goes dark. I think at this moment the cross and darkness do this incredible colliding. They come together and this battle starts. Darkness and the cross come together. It's in a spiritual plane we cannot see, but I think you could, you, if you had been there, you could have probably felt it in the atmosphere. To follow Jesus, are you walking by sight or are you walking by faith in the Son of God? Now, Jesus' love for his people, his miraculous ministry, and his prophetic posture, everything that was ever written in the Old Testament is all leaning forward to this one fateful day for most the day of crucifixion for Jesus himself. If, if you look at the historical account of Isaiah chapters 52 and 53, you will see that it simply describes the suffering servant. Everything that was going to happen to Jesus is written historically. So everything in the Old Testament that was written about Jesus leans forward into this one moment of the crucifixion. There is a timeless phrase that's meant to inspire us and to give us hope and courage when we're facing a difficult time. How many of you have heard the expression, oh, I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel? How many have heard that expression? I think most of us have. We say, I am seeing the light at the end of the tunnel when the darkness comes around us and all of a sudden there's a little glimmer of hope and we begin to move towards that light. Is that you? Years ago, when we were young and dumb, we crawled into a mine, went way too far back in there, and we had two groups, two guys went that way, two of us went another way, and, and we had flashlights, one flashlight each. Not smart. We're way down in this mine, I mean, who knows where we're at in there, and our light goes out. You don't want to yell, help, thinking the rocks are going to fall on you. You don't want to freak out and just run like crazy because you could run off a ledge into another abyss. So we sat in silence waiting. And I'll tell you, I don't know, it seemed like eternity later, here's this little light moving. And we hear this, you guys, you guys. And we're like, we're over here. <laughs> and I'll tell you, when we saw the light, we moved to the light with great joy. <laughs> Darkness can mean confinement. Darkness can mean disorientation, it can mean danger, it can mean incredible endings. Conversely, light means freedom, it means safety, it means clarity, and it certainly can mean new beginnings as well. But I believe that Jesus has modeled something for us that sometimes our best choice is to follow him into the dark places of our lives. Typically, we want to cut and run thinking that there could be no good in facing our pain or entering a season when our ability to see what's ahead is diminished by darkness. But in, in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says, for we live by faith and not by sight. Now I'm putting all of this in the context of where the disciples' minds must have been at this point, okay? This journey that you and I are walking will always be a walk of faith. We will not always have light at the end of the tunnel, but sometimes we have to walk into the darkness. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is confidence, is confidence in that for which we have hope and assurance about the things we cannot see. So as Jesus is being beaten and he's being humiliated through the streets of his beloved Jerusalem, 
He ends up with nails in his hands and his feet, and he's raised to the sky for all to see him suffer. He could have avoided this. He could have simply avoided this. This really shows you how much he loves mankind. He's standing before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate says, I'm paraphrasing again, but do you know, do you understand who I am? I have the power to cut you free. And Jesus makes this comment. He says, the only power you have is that what has been given to you from above. I'm sure Pontius Pilate wasn't too happy with that return, but I'm thankful that Jesus decided to take my sin, my shame, and the punishment that I deserved on himself. He took it all on himself. He could have called 10,000 angels, know the song, right? I mean, he had the power and authority to do whatever he wanted to do, but he didn't. And here's why. I believe that Jesus knew that darkness is where death lives. And instead of running away from the darkness like we typically do, he fearlessly walked right into its waiting arms. To think that Jesus would enter darkness in order to fill it with light should give you and I tremendous hope. Jesus wants to fill your life with light. I think the problem is a lot of us have graves, so to speak, in, the, in, in just the corner of our heart where we have rocks put in front of it. We don't want light coming in because we know it's going to be really painful when that light hits that sore thing. But God wants to roll those markers away from those graves and bring light into your darkness. You know, in your own darkness, I wrote here, you can choose to find your light shining or you can carry it wherever he wants it to go. You are the light of the world, right? Jesus placed that in us. Perhaps there is a world of darkness that Jesus is inviting, inviting you to shine his light into. You ever thought about that? We tend to not want to go into the dark places. We tend not to want to be involved in those things. But perhaps there is a light in you, the light of him that Jesus wants you to take into those dark places and to minister Jesus to lost and dying people. Let's move on to Holy Saturday. It's the seventh day and the final day of the Holy Week. We uh, find Jesus' body is in the garden tomb of Joseph of, of uh, Arimathea. And it's in this moment, the guards are posted all around at the request of the high priest. Jesus' body is in the tomb. We can only imagine how paralyzed the disciples must have been both in grief and fear over the past events that happened just the last few days. And, and, and in their thinking, I'm sure it was only a matter of time until the powers of their age come for them. And their torture would be as severe as those of their Lord and Savior. I think they knew that. I think in that moment they realized that they had given their lives to a dead Messiah. And yet his love, his life, his teaching, his miracles, and his promises have completely altered their souls. In bewilderment, now hear me, in bewilderment, they hide in silence and they wait. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, he, he taught a lot over the years on the tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. He talked about the inauguration when Jesus put his foot on this planet. That's when the kingdom of God was inaugurated. But there'll come a moment someday when Jesus returned, the coronation, he'll be crowned, be crowned king of kings 
forever and ever. Amen? And John taught us the challenges we live in this tension of the now and the not yet. Well, I call that period of time divine bewilderment. Let me explain. Is there a grief that can only be found when our hope and our reality are different? I think there is. Let me explain it a little deeper. In John 16, 22, Jesus has given his disciples some words that must have bewildered them. Jesus in 15, 16, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, guys, I got to go. Dad, I'm going to home see the Father. And Jesus is saying, you know, I got to. And they're trying to wrap their head around this idea. Jesus is going, where are you going? Where are you going? Like you're going to the store for a carton of milk and not coming back? I mean, what's, what's going on here, Jesus? And then, and then a little bit later down in verse 33, he adds to those words. He says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is like foreign language to these guys. They're still trying to figure out, wait a minute, you're flesh and blood, Jesus. We see you right here. What are you saying? And then he says something like, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a while, you will see me again. What is it, Jesus? What are you saying? I think divine bewilderment is not unfamiliar to most of us. One moment, our world is incredibly pristine. We're on top of it. It's full of possibilities. There's dancing in the halls. There's flowers growing in the yard. And it's marked by this incredible blessing and fulfillment. And then all of a sudden, suddenly, the darkness of shadows fall. Night engulfs our brightest day and darkness and fear creep in. And all of a sudden in that moment, we're left in this incredible bewilderment. We are pierced by a great unknowing that causes us to question, I wrote, everything that became before this darkness and everything that will come after. How many know that moment when all of a sudden, boom, the flip, the switch was flipped and all of a sudden what you knew is singing in the halls and dancing, just joy, is suddenly darkness falls, boom, and you see no light. I think this was the lot of the disciples. I think on Saturday and after Good Friday, knowing that the religious leaders were smelling blood, whoa, their loss of, of Jesus was compounded by their fear of every knock at the door. Jesus, a week before, had been winning popularity contests all across the landscape of Israel, healing, setting people free, delivering people from demonic oppression, all kinds of stuff. And now, with the cheers and the shouts of Palm Sunday probably still ringing in their ears, Hosanna, that must have been intense, Hosanna, Hosanna, their popularity had fallen to the place of their Lord Jesus at that moment. And they were only seen as worthy of being tortured like he was. But I'm telling you, Jesus is about to explode forth into their bewildering moment. That's what Jesus does. He loves to come upon you in a suddenly and explode forth in your moment of going, what is this all about? This doesn't make sense. On one hand, Jesus, you said this, and I'm experiencing that. And all of a sudden, he comes upon that bewildering moment, and he brings light. So let's move on to Easter Sunday. We're getting closer here, guys. Easter Sunday, today, all around the world, there are reenactments. Boy, in the Dalles, they had a, up there, we lived there for several years. They had this cave on the side of the mountain, and they literally had this monster stone, and they'd roll it away. I mean, they did it big. And 
when Jesus is seen busting out of it at sunrise, this powerful imagery when you stood there just going, whoa. I mean, it just gripped your heart. So Easter, the Easter story, as told every year around this time, in Luke 24, chapter 24, verses 1 through 6, you guys read the story. This is Sunday school stuff that goes back many, many years, but it's powerful, powerful truth. But just in a nutshell, we have some women who visit the tomb. They find this stone has been rolled away. Jesus is seen to be alive, apparently. And what's happened is, is the body of Christ is unleashed in passion, love, and faith on an unspect, uh, unsuspecting empire at that moment. He is risen. He's not there. Death had attempted to swallow into its tomb the very giver of life. And what happened? Jesus transformed that tomb into a womb of creation, new creation. Did you catch that? So what, again, death had attempted to swallow into the tomb, its tomb, the very giver of life. Didn't happen. Jesus went in there, did a little remodeling. He transformed that tomb again into a womb of new creation. That is so powerful, guys. Christ's resurrection, his life and his power is at work within us of those who have said yes to Jesus. If you have said yes to Jesus, I'm telling you, the life and the power of the resurrection is inside you. You just need to learn to stand up and to move in it. You know, remember that part I talked about last week, the enemy of our spirit mind, the soul is going, no, you're not. You're just a this and a that. You're no good. You can't do that. You need to tell that carnal mind to shut up. Get out of the room because the truth is the power of the resurrection lives inside of you. Now, as a bearer of Christ's resurrected life, you are now commissioned, I am now commissioned to join God's work of righting the wrongs in the world. We're, we're commissioned to distribute the love of Jesus, and we're, we're commissioned to confront the powers of this age with the empowering life of Christ in you. That is the hope. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. You're carrying the hope of glory within you because of the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of both Jesus and then the future of his people, I wrote, is the foundation of the Christian stance of allegiance to a different king and a different Lord. Man, we have a different king. It's not the, it's not, it's not the prince of this earth. We have a king, and his name is Jesus, and he's given us powers. We're just, we're just sojourners passing through, but we have a mission and a purpose in this life. God didn't create you just to hang out. God created you to pour life into your body so that you could bring light into the darkness. Amen? I wrote here, the fear of death is the last weapon of the tyrant. And, and the point of the resurrection, despite much misunderstanding, is that death has been defeated. I'm going to say that again. Death has been defeated. It no longer holds you. Heidi Baker, I love it. She's, she's being challenged by some banditos in the jungles of Africa somewhere, Mozambique. And they're bringing guns to her saying, you know, if you come in here, we're going to kill you. And she's like, are you kidding me? You threaten me with heaven? She wasn't afraid of death. She wasn't afraid of the darkness. She's not. Because she knew the alternative was, hey. 
If I'm not here, I'm going to be in the presence of God. I will be in the light. I will be with him. So this threatening me with death, that's a joke. I'm going to shorten this up a little bit because I got a testimony I want you guys to hear. So Christ, the risen Lord, do you believe this? Do you have your heart or, or do you just confess that he's the risen Lord? But do you believe and act like he is the risen King and Lord? Remember, I shared last week about believe, confess and act. That's the bold confession. A lot of people believe, I believe the word of God. A lot of people confess, I believe the word of God, and this is what I believe in the word. But are you acting on it? Is it changing your life? Is your life changing lives around you? The Easter story to me is like this celestial battering ram where the angel of the Lord announces that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He has risen from the dead, and boom. He, in fact, the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Guys, every hope, every dream, every spoken and unspoken longing of the human heart here on this planet Earth finds its fulfillment in an empty tomb. That should excite us. The resurrection of Jesus is the surest confirmation that God only loves the world, but he is making all things new. You know, triumphing over the enemy of our souls, the devil. That's what Jesus did at the resurrection. And, and if you really read this story and dig into it, you'll find that Christ literally walked into hell and back. And what did he come back with? Keys. Revelation 1.18. Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead and now, look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys, oh, of death and hell. They're in his hands. Don't let the enemy wave these things in front of you because... It's not real. It's an illusion. Jesus is the only one that holds the key to the future plans of your life. Not the enemy. Jesus does. Jesus, again, has made death's tomb a womb of everlasting life. So today, I really want to challenge you guys to consider really not just once a year, not just on this day, but every day to truly wake up and arise with Christ. Stop for a moment in the morning and welcome him to go down the corridor of your heart and to lift you from the graves that have been holding you back. Ask him to come and to roll away the rocks that have been sheltering something deep in your heart that needs the light of Christ shed upon. He is standing there. He wants to penetrate and he can your darkest moments. He will challenge the fear that is there and he will pour in you this enduring confidence that he truly is and can and will make you a new creation. Amen. Where's our guest speaker? Come on up, young lady. Dan, you want to help her up here? Most of you know that Charlotte had a little bump in the road of life. And she ended up being life flighted up to Portland and... and uh, just did some powerful things, and I want you to hear her heart. <clears throat> Do you need a chair, Charlotte? Okay.
come over here and rest against that. Let me hold this for you. You can. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlotte Willard. As if I'm not already deeply moved and blown away, Doug, you're <laughs> what you brought us today was so incredible. And you will see how what you brought today fits with, I, with what I'm bringing to you. It's just been an incredible situation. And because I have a lot of notes, I don't think I could do it extemporaneously, so I'm going to do that. And I am so glad to be here, to be here. Your prayers must have rocked heaven because I'm here. And in a recent um, service from that Doug did, he was talking about miracles. And at that point, I had already um, had a situation where I had fallen and been taken into the house and then taken to the hospital and they did tests on my head and my neck and my back and my hip because I <laughs> and every single one of them came back good every single one of them but eight days later I fell again and it's you know I'm going to feel like a rubber ball oh well I fell oh well I fell again I had no idea evidently that I had really 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 done it and I had gone home, I, I did my groceries, I'm just fine, and then started to feel bad at night. And to cut to all the different time that was involved there, um, and by God's grace, I had been led to get the alert. And, um, and that night I felt so bad, I thought I can't even lock my door. And I went back to bed and slid out of the bed <laughs> and pressed my little button saying, thank you, God. And they came in and rescued me and put me into bed. And I really did not feel that I would be waking up that next morning. I felt, this is it, I'm gone. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm gone. But obviously I woke up the next morning <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, called Life Alert and they sent an ambulance and that was an embarrassing thing. But anyway, because never mind. Um, <laughs> don't think about it, okay? Don't think about it. Um, <laughs> So they get me to um, Asante, and um, half an hour later, the lady comes back, and she says, you have two decisions. You have, we can make you comfortable so you can li live the rest of your life in a room, or you can life flight. And I said, oh, no contest, life flight me. And um, it was, it was so incredible. I mean, I always wanted to go in a helicopter. I would like to have seen it. <laughs> I would like to have seen it, but they had me zip down there. So they get me to OHSU in Portland, where, cause it was, um, my kids met up with me, and another dear friend was up there. And I could feel as they're taking me out, they're braiding my hair. And next thing I know, um, I'm waking up, and I'm after four hours of surgery, have little plastic things in my head with blood draining through them, and it's like, and you have to understand, there was not one sense of fear, not one sense of fear. That's right. I knew all That's this good. prayer was going on, all this, I mean, it was just incredible that I didn't have any sense of fear, and 
ultimately, I mean, there's a lot more to tell you, but I gotta segue, because that's what I do. Um, it was such good food, <laughs> and it was, <laughs> <laughs> we love good food. And, um, and they took such good care of me, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a very mature lady now, and I've worked all my life, and when they released me, um, they wanted to come and see me, and I said, I said about that, you know, that I've worked all my life, and I said, I've got to tell you, this is the best vacation I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, seriously. <laughs> yeah, they all got a big kick out of that. So, uh, let's see if I can segue back to where I think my brain <laughs> is here. <laughs> Boy, at, at present now, I'm in a uh, rehab place, and there's a lot of things to face. But again, no fear, no fear. If you carry fear, you don't get the healing. Just, it's that simple. If you carry fear, you don't get the healing. And um, segueing again here, wildly. Um, I love sending cards. Most of you know that. <laughs> um, and my daughter had gotten me a card. And as I was writing this card, there was this incredible download going off on my head. And I'm writing these things on the card. And uh, I said, I have to give this to somebody special. And I said, what do you think this? No, no, no. Give me a honcho. Give me a honcho. So they got me somebody that was a main man there. And I explained to him why I wanted him to get this and um, how I felt about the whole thing and how wonderful everyone had been. <laughs> that man was moved. He was so moved. He said, we're in the business of loving and caring for people. That's what we do. But he said, it's so rare that anyone lets us know, especially in this fashion, how much it has all meant to them, and <laughs> I'm sorry, I really am all over the place. This is so big, it's so deep. Um, one of the first things I realized after I got out of the operation and into my room, I felt this incredible feeling of light. Not that I'd gone to the light, but that I was full of light. At that point, I think if somebody walked up to me and said, I need healing, I would, you know, it would have been there. But that whole, that whole feeling carried with me and over me the whole time I was there. So many things um, unfolded that when you're in a situation like that, you don't know what to expect. You have no idea who's going to help me. You don't have any idea what's going on, basically. But God's care, your prayers, all over that, all over that. Oh, I hope I don't fall down here. I've got some more things to tell you, but maybe I can and maybe I can't. Um, let's see, we got through the people to pick me up, okay. Oh, pretty good notes, but I'm not doing too badly, am I? Um, I again, I don't know that I can, I'm starting to shake a little bit, so I don't want to do that, but I mean, you're looking at someone who has survived double brain bleeds. You're looking at someone, and I, I told this a long time ago, in 1982, I was widowed, and it was Good Friday. <coughs> Hello, here I am, it's Good Friday again. Somebody up there really loves me, because here I am, yes. here yes. I am again, yes. here I am again. I feel so strongly that I needed to give this to all of you, that, that I'm, <laughs> if I could walk straighter, I might be able to float, I'm not sure. 
but I, I, it's just a heavenly situation. And everything that Doug shared today really fits with everything I'm trying to tell you now. It's just something I had to bring to you. And where I was staying, they said, no, no, you can't go to church. I was like, yes, I'm going to church. I have to do this. I have to bring this to you. You have to hear this. You have to understand that no fear is where it's at. No fear. And I'm recycled. I'm resurrected <coughs> twice. How many people can say that, people? <laughs> recycled <laughs> twice. That's good. That's Thank good. I love this. I love this gal. You know, I listening to Charlotte share, um, I'm a little biased because it was my father, but my father was in hospice, and some of you heard the story, just he was in terrible pain, but whenever anyone would enter the room, he would say, hey, I'm going to go see the King of Kings. There was no fear in my father's heart, in his words, anything about death and what was beyond that moment. And he would say, is there anything I can go tell Jesus for you? And I even remembered the moment he was, had gone into a coma. He'd been in a coma for several weeks and, and uh, all the bells and whistles and sounds going on. And all of a sudden, his eyes opened, crystal blue eyes my dad had. had. They opened and he's trying to say something. I remember pulling the mask back going, Dad, what's going on? He goes, hey, it's beautiful here. I said, Dad, you go ahead and go. It's okay. He goes, I know. I just wanted you to know. <laughs> That's the reality of what's out there for us, of those who believe. So let's stand. If you, Lewis, could I have you come up for a moment? And just for a second. If you do not know that resurrection power, I would like you to come forward because I would love to have our team or myself pray for you. Or maybe you're having a tough time experiencing that resurrection power because your carnal mind keeps telling you, you're not worthy of this. That is a lie, my friend, that you need to be delivered from. Amen? So really, I, I just want to pray that God... I just ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would begin to flow through this room like it hasn't for a long time. Your power would rise to a magnitude we haven't known for seasons, God. And Father, with that, you would bring cleansing waters. You would wash from our hearts, God, the darkness in those places that we have kept dark and, and quiet and shut down and locked down, kept you out of for so many years. But we need you. Father, we want to experience your resurrecting power, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And again, if that's you, if you want more, I'd like you to come forward. This is your chance to arrive and to walk into all that God has for you.
Father, reveal to us the new creation that you created us to be. Thank you, Father. You know, as I'm up here just praying and pondering, I can't help but see there are some that there is a darkness that has grabbed hold of you that you can't seem to shake. It's like it's part of your story and for some reason, well, I know why, you're, you're believing that that's part of who you are. I'm telling you, God wants to cut that clean right now. How many have felt that and are feeling that? Yeah, yeah. If, if you would, if you're brave, arise, come on up here because we want to pray for you. I want to see you leave here squeaky clean, full of light in every corner of your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Jesus. Some of you are feeling like have an expiration date and I passed it. God can't use me. I'm telling you, some of you are lined up for your greatest encore. It's just time to step into what God has for you with faith. This walk that we walk, there's not always going to be a flashlight shining the path forward. There's sometimes you've got to take a step of faith, even if it looks like you're moving into the darkness, because perhaps God is calling you into that moment to bring the light of Christ that's in your heart into that moment. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's begin to pray for these folks here. Just Hold that moment for a minute. Just extend a hand. Let's pray for these people. You guys come from your seats. Just extend a hand forward. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Father, we just pray that freedom would reign up here. Freedom. Freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Speed of the Lord is 
Let's just sing this out. Let's just sing. Let's just sing over these people. Lift your eyes to heaven. There is freedom. Lift your eyes to heaven. There is freedom.
you're still in a place where you think that maybe God's pulling on your heartstrings, it's not too late to come forward to get prayer. It's never too late for God. Even after the service is closed, if you can find somebody that's up here, one yes. of the elders, yes. or so whoever brought you, it's there never you too late to be yes. set free. Yes. The rest of you, if you could keep it quiet, but gently help us pick up some chairs quietly, if that's possible. We still want to stay in a posture of prayer for these people. God bless you, and I hope you have an awesome Resurrection Day.